I'm Thani Nandini, and this is episode two of the Mala podcast, where extraordinary women retell their stories of survival and reimagine them as scents. I'm a novelist and perfumer living in Brooklyn, New York, and my independent beauty and fragrance house, High Wildflower, sponsors this podcast. We are here to unravel the notion of a bad woman, the Spanish definition of Mala, or a garland of flowers in Sanskrit, and in this podcast, memory as living art. The season centers on a house of formerly incarcerated women living in Flushing, Queens. Our guest today is Tasha. The minute we sit down to talk, we vibe. When Tasha tells me she's a welder, we reminisce about that Jennifer Beals ecstatic welding dance sequence in Flashdance. I realize that of everyone in the house, she's the closest to my age, so we have the same references. Tasha trained at new, non-traditional employment for women to learn her trade. Her bedroom is a haven of Buddhist spirituality. There's a tranquil, oceanic mood. There's the faint hint of cotton linen in the air. It's her favorite scent. I notice, too, that each time I've come to the house, Tasha is in cleaning mode. Her room is impeccably neat. She grew up in Runyon Heights, a predominantly black suburb in Yonkers, not too far from where I grew up in Rockland County. Tasha's story and olfactory memory bring her back to the scent of cotton linen, fresh air, being outside, far away from home. It's something that I notice in myself when I'm in my lab or writing fiction. What we gravitate towards is often right at the edge of our traumas. Cleanliness and fresh air juxtapose against the more painful memories that Tasha carries. I wanted to incorporate notes inspired by Tasha's longing for comfort as a child, the meditative, grounded notes that speak to the woman she is today. So the base is a gorgeous Mysore sandalwood and dry grass essence and musk, which blooms into a heart of natural white lotus absolute and water hyacinth. I wanted to play with base and heart as metaphor for lotus, a floral growing out of something fecal. If it doesn't have a little stink, then it's not as interesting, which is pretty much the point of this entire project. Tasha's girlfriend outfitted her room with all of the Buddhist figures, so the lotus and hyacinth invoke their love. I wanted to pay homage to the ancientness and wisdom associated with the flower. Lotus seeds can be viable after a thousand years dormant. At UCLA, Dr. Jane Shen Miller treated six ancient lotus seeds she found in northern China. She filed through the hard seed coat, soaked the seeds, and they bloomed in just a few days. The oldest of these seeds was 1,128 years old. Everything that is written in that seed tells us its past and its future. I wanted Tasha's scent to feel like flowers soaked in rain, the first breath of spring, a freshness that works its way into the skin until warm woods and musk fade into the faint scent of grass. Her perfume summons the moment when you need some air, a moment of quietude, and escape. My name's Tasha, and I grew up in Yonkers, New York. I was born in Germany. Um, I'm an army brat. My dad was a veteran. He is a veteran. He was in the military for many years, and then he went off and he got his degree in social science. My mom, um, she's a retired nurse. She t- retired early because of cancer. My son lives with her, so she's still takes care of him at 19. I said for her to take temporary custody because I didn't want to go through the whole fight with his father. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, let my mom raise him. She's fair. When I came home, he was like 
12 going on 13 and I didn't want to uproot him. I could have went back to Yonkers. I didn't want to because my crime took place in Yonkers. So I, I, I wasn't even established. So I didn't want to make him like have to go through everything, you know, with me trying to figure out where I'm going to stay, getting the job. It just, it would have been selfish. I would say growing up in my neighborhood was pretty cool. It's like a family, small population. Everybody knows everybody. Even the people that come and go, everyone's stuck together. The older people in the neighborhood and the church would always make sure we had neighborhood activities going on, whether it was parties in our community center, they had barbecues. So they definitely looked out for the children. Growing up in my house, I'm good and bad. I don't know. <laughs> my, my mom's a great mom. She did her best with raising my sister, myself, and my brother. But my dad wasn't a nice man. So yeah, growing up in my house, if you ask me um, some days, would I have rather just hang out in the park with my friends? Like It was always a way I can escape if my house got too crazy. So was your father scary to you when you were growing up? Was he violent? Yeah, he was violent. He had, um, I mean, I think at the age I am now, I realized that um, it's mental. I don't know. But yeah, he was a very angry man. I don't talk to him. I haven't spoke to him in maybe like uh, six years. We never really had a great relationship when I was in prison. I can probably remember one time he visited me. My mom was more faithful to me in that um, way. She always brought my son up to visit me. So as far as him supporting my mom when they divorced, taking care of his children, making sure he still had a relationship with us, he didn't do that. So it really wasn't hard in that aspect to just say I was done because I really wouldn't miss much. What are some of the scents of your childhood? The air was really, um, you know, when I one of my favorite scents is um, cotton linen. And I think it's because for me, I always escape with the smell of the air. Like some, the air does something to me. You know, even in my deepest, um, when I feel like I'm down and I and I'm stressed. I always go to the water and I just lift my head up and the air, the freshness of the, it's just, when I think of cotton linen, like I buy cotton linen, air freshener, cotton linen, candles. When I think of cotton linen, is that's the scent I smell even in rain. Mm-hmm. Like when I would have like, even smell my mom food in the house, like if it got heated to where my dad and her were bickering, I run outside and the air just did something to my spirit. It just made me feel good in that moment. Absolutely. So cotton linen kind of reminds me of, you know, something very classic, homey, fresh sheets, fresh laundry, right? like that scent of cleanliness. Yes. And I don't know, it's something about taking you back to a place where you're very safe and mm-hmm. comforted, right? What's your birthday? September 14th. Oh yeah. Happy yeah. birthday. Thank you. How old are you now? I'm 38. Do you feel like each birthday brings you a new sense of understanding of who you are? Yes, it does. But I still have a long way because I lost myself in the process of, um, I think a lot of my upbringing had a lot to do with why I chose to be with the man that fathered my child. Things took place because of what I thought love would be. And now that I feel like I finally know what I want when it comes to love and loving myself and, you know, finding my own direction, I still struggle with a lot of things that happened to me with my father. So I feel like I'm still growing in that aspect because I get taken back a lot when I sit in my thoughts too long. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote on your wall. What's that quote? Say? What you think you become. What you think you become. Right. So when your thoughts are good, you feel good. And when your thoughts go to a darker, heart, like scarier yeah. place, you feel. I feel, I feel, de- I feel defeated. Yeah. And I just feel like, because I thought me writing him off was like all I needed to do. And then I started to feel like, like, no, that's, that's not, that's not what I need. Maybe I have to face it and just like, learn how to deal with my own emotions and deal with my own resentment. And that's hard. That's hard. My sister and I, we don't talk because of it. We've had rough relationship growing up, my sister and I, and I'm two years older than her. So I actually, when I met my son's father, I decided to leave my mom's home 
it kind of left her being the only child there. My brother went off to the Marines right after high school. So it was just us two. And I decided to leave. And then she was alone in the house. Yeah. So when I came home from prison, we had a lot of disagreements. And I didn't really know she felt the way she felt. She so. felt abandoned by you? Right. But I feel like I tried to get her to understand it wasn't about abandonment. It was about me escaping. How old were you when you decided uh, When I decided to leave, I was almost 17, but 16 at the time when I met my son's father. And my mom gave me options. But at the time, my mom didn't know what my dad was doing to us at such a young age. And she just knew I was always an angry kid and she never knew where it came from. And my sister, I was the angry one and my sister was the more timid and shy one. And when we got older... We finally told her, but they were already divorced. I know that that's really hard to go to that place, but right. what did you tell her when you told her what was going on? How it all happened is that um, I, my sister and I didn't even know we were both being violated by my dad. There was a letter written when my sister wrote to me when I was in Bedford. She was talking about dreams and I'm like, and I'm like, okay. And I never told her, I never shared with anybody that I always had these dreams about what happened. Some days I would wake up in cold sweats. Like I've never ex- expressed that to anyone. I kept it always to myself. And when she wrote the letter and I realized that she experienced the same thing I experienced, um, we were, we spoke about it in letters. And then um, we decided when I came home, we would approach my mom and finally confront her with it just to ask, was she aware? We wanted to know because I come from a very dysfunctional family and my mom has had a very rough life and she's overcame a lot of that. I just needed to know, was she that type of woman? Even though I never saw her to be that type of woman, but I really needed to understand, was she that type of woman that would allow something like that to happen because she was so deeply in love with her husband and just put, turn a blind face to it because that's been history in our family. We really needed to know, like, did she know? Did she have any idea? Because she's been through it herself and growing up, she would always tell us, I would always protect my kids from that type of stuff because she had to endure it with my grandmother because my grandmother was an addict. She was addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know much about her. My great-grandma was more like a grandmother to me, my nanny. But it, so she died very, I was 12 when she died from, I think, eight. But my mom is the oldest of 10. So you never confided in anyone that your dad abused you or your sister? I wasn't even aware that it was happening to her, to be honest. I just knew why I wanted to escape for my reasons. And I had to get out of my home. I was like, well, 10, but I'm... Just other perverted behaviors like before that, but the physical part of it was probably when I was about 10, but he would do things that I always felt like, I mean, my mom was a very, she never allows us to sit on even uncle's lap. This is every culture, every country. It's a problem with patriarchy and male violence. And the fact that you told me that your dad's a vet means he's probably mm-hmm. has some issues. you know, issues probably with his mental health, you know, right. and that's what you, you, you said. But growing up, you don't know that. I mean, that's your dad and right. he's supposed to be taking care of you. So when did you realize that something was very, very wrong? And what prevented you from saying anything to like a teacher or a classmate or a neighbor in this community that sounds like everyone's tight knit and close? I can't really understand why I never told my best friend, my childhood best friend. I don't know. I don't know if it was shame. I think it was more because I was known to be the child I always act out and I didn't I didn't want to. Yeah, I became that person. I act out like whether it was school, like I just was mad for no reason. Well, they they thought it was for no reason. I was just a mad child. A kid is always mad for right, but but they always were like, oh, I don't. All my siblings, they'd be like, oh, that Tasha, (laughs) that Tasha. And your brother had no idea too. My brother actually, it's funny because my brother had no idea, but he not aware older. He shared stories that happened with another relative with him. 
So my brother was already, he was fighting his own demons at the same time. And I didn't even know he was fighting his own demons. And that's why he had an academic scholarship to go to pretty much any college he wanted to go to. And he chose the Marines. And it didn't make sense when I was that young. Like, why are you going to the service? Why are you fighting? Now that he's older, he has told me, like, I just wanted to get out the house. I need to get away. I need to get away from the family. He didn't say so much. Even the home we lived in, the family. Down the line, he told me why. So that was his escape. So, so everyone like all had a story. Yeah, we, everyone's we dealing with it. No yeah. one's talking about it. And I kind of felt like my mom, Not, I'm not saying she wouldn't leave. He was very abusive and we witnessed it, my brother and all of us. Against your mom? Yeah, he used to beat her all the time. But when we got older, we knew he abused coke and things like that. But we didn't notice growing up. I mean, you know, when your parents are from the 60s, they keep everything away from their children. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know, never know what's going on. My mother was not the mother to like drink in front of us, you know. So if she did, it would be something she told us when we got older. I think when I was like 30, she was like, you know, I used to smoke pot. And I was like, what? You used to smoke pot when you were a kid? Why even say anything? I'd rather just escape because, I mean, I've seen, I've seen my mom always try to take her life just to get my dad to like leave her alone. I mean, we have left our home to go into domestic violence shelters and we would stay there and then he would like, I don't know, act like Romeo the next day and she would do the domestic violence shelter and go back home. So I've seen that. I think it was more like probably like scared to tell her because I didn't know if she would confront him and he'll take her life maybe. He was a terrorizer of everyone in the house. He was. No one felt like they could get away from him. Right. Do you forgive your mom? We don't talk about it. She doesn't talk about it. Having a conversation and we'll disagree. And I think I stretch it a little bit. And I think that's because I still have resentment. And it doesn't even, I stretch it and it's not about the situation at hand. It's more like, you're not going to even discuss this with me. She says she was sorry. She didn't know, but she's never directly, she's never gave me what I think I need. True apology for not protecting Just understanding. I have like spoke to different relatives and just try to understand, you know, my uncle who is also, uh, he did um, 25 years in prison, so I barely knew him, but I, I know he's my uncle. He came home, like, right after I came home, he told me there was an incident when we were kids that him and my da- dad went to rob a home, and my dad ended up, like, raping the daughter, and he got away with it, and he went back and told my mom. So I, I said to my mom, I'm like, you knew he was a pervert. Regardless of the fact you knew he would touch, he was touching your daughters, you knew this man was capable. I mean, there were rumors saying that he he was just like, he had pedophile behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I blame my mom more for. Because if you know that you're dealing with this type of individual, then maybe you should have divorced him before 22 years. Yeah. Shows that she was probably very afraid of him and just had no sense of herself after all those years. Maybe. I think so. He was her first love. They yeah. married from high school. Wow. Three kids. I found out as I got older that he had um dishonorable discharge. Never wow. know, don't know why. No, no one ever knows why. Yeah, I don't know why. But that's what I was told. Well, so. it could be connected to his pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he definitely has demons that... He's right. taken out on women in his life and women who are strangers to him too. Yeah. So all of this kind of growing up in a home where you're not feeling safe, you meet someone and right. now you're like, okay, here's an escape. Tell me about that. Tell me about the person that you met and okay, so what Rain happened Heights, after that. Rain Heights is, um, like I said, it's, um, it's not the average. We call it, we would call, people will laugh at us when we call it our hood. Because it really wasn't the hood, but we call it our hood. It was our hood. <laughs> it's the North Side of Yonkers, mm-hmm. more like Central Avenue, Tuckahoe area. And we were actually, my friends and I, we were always like, take the bus and go to the South Side. And we were told never, we, we weren't allowed to hang out on the South Side of Yonkers because our parents just knew what was going on over there on the South Side. 
and we used to go over there, skip school, go buy some weed. And um, that's exactly what happened one day. And I remember my friend took me to this spot and um, I see this guy and we were just all kicking it. And then um, my friend goes, he's looking at you. I think he liked you. And I'm like, ill. It's like, I remember that being my first reaction. She was like, but if you talk to him, we can get free weed all the time. <laughs> you know, was I, he selling weed? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he wasn't selling it, but he had workers, but it was his workers in this particular build. So the weed was there. <laughs> yeah, we was there. He's seven years my senior. So mind you, he's already in his 20s. And, um, and you're not even 18 yet. No, not even not even 18. And uh, we started like just furting it. And I don't know, like we end up, I guess I, I end up falling in love with what I thought to be falling in love with him. And, um, was yeah. he your first love? He was my first love. And, and um, first sexual experience too? Yes, got pregnant at 18. Of course, because I was dating a guy in the game, I had I lived a very good life from cars to a nice home. Um, I would go and take care of my mother at this point. And if she needed anything, I'd buy her gifts. But I really, I'm always... Keeps my, I, my life is usually separate from my family, even today. Did she feel like, where did this money come from? How are you able to take I care of me? She didn't ask because um, I didn't need to take care of her, but I would just flower her gifts. She was able to take care of herself, but I would go like buy her coats and you know just do things that kids do for their parents. She knew I was dating my son father. Even if my mom knows what's going on, she kind of pretend she doesn't like she still pretends that she doesn't know I'm a lesbian so like I mean that's just an example of, like the type of character we're dealing with yeah. so she's in like, denial right she'll like not like she knows her and everything I love you I love you but she'll be like your friend is so nice right so you meet this guy Butch and he's flashy he's right in the game you're getting these like fineries and gifts I mean sounds like you know all this stuff that you want is within your reach well, I, I felt protected with him. I felt like he was really looking out for my best interests. I felt like that, okay, here I am, 16 years old. Your parents are supposed to protect you. Your parents, especially your dad, right? Daddy's girl, right? It's supposed to protect you. So for, for me growing up, love was like really like superficial. I never really like, because I was like everybody that claimed to love people, whether it was directly towards me or family members that I could see that claimed to love each other. That love was just, it made no sense to me. The first three years was great. I, I graduated high school. I started working for private investigators in White Plains. And we had bought on my first home in Yonkers, on Rumsey. And everything was good, I want to say, up until Devontae was probably two years old. And then I started, he was still a good provider. Or I never took none of that away from him. But I noticed a lot of things, and then there was always rumors. People would say, oh, Tasha, he's messing with this girl, this girl, this girl. Towards the end, it started coming, like, me fighting girls on the street. Like, it's, you know, they mess with my son's father, and then they want to disrespect me. And then he's lying and denying it, but I'm dumb and young, thinking that these girls are just making this up. I think I was at my wit's end. That was a, probably the first year I picked up a drink. I picked up my first drink because I found myself being more depressed. I'm, like, feeling the way I felt when I was a kid. Right? And everything feels cold around me. I feel like I can't breathe. Like I'm congested. I started drinking, just still going to work. I finally got the noise and I said, I'm leaving. Um, I don't want to be with you no more. When we broke up, kind of found out it was a girl that I knew that he was sleeping with that was a worker for him. And they were like open with their relationship. She started to think that he was still sleeping with me. So one incident, one day I was going to get my hair braided. I remember, never forget it. And she uh, was, I walk into my salon where I, I'm a regular there. And I see her and a friend sitting on a chair. They must be waiting for a washing set. The African lady was in the back who braided my hair all the time. I hear her, her friend talking. At the time, I'm very stubborn. Got a bad attitude. 
and I'm like, I'm tired of arguing with this girl. This is what I'm saying to myself, but I'm not saying it out loud. So now my beautician knows what's going on. And she's like, just calm down. Don't worry about it. Because they're talking smack, but indirectly, but enough to where everybody can hear it in the salon. And I'm like kind of in the chair, like, getting my a braid done. And I'm like, leg shaking. Like, I'm done with this girl. Like, we're going to have to deal with this. You know, my stupid self, because I'm just a daring person. And when I got my mindset on something, I usually do it. I said to my son, I'm going to go knock on her door and I'm going to talk to her. And we're going to handle this one time for all. My petition was like, no, don't do that. You know, she's with another girl. They're going to hurt you. And I was like, oh, I can fight two girls. There's no problem. And I did exactly what I said I was going to do. When she opened the door, I just punched her in the face, I remember. Mm. And I didn't realize today. And like, it was like five girls in the house. And they beat the shit out of me. I was really messed up, never went to the hospital, never even reported it. Because in my mind, I'm like, revenge is a motherfucker. My drinking has got more out of hand because I'm still doing what I have to do. But now I'm depending on drinking when I get depressed, when I mm. when I'm you know feel like, oh, my life, my life, my life. I said, I'll have my cousin act like she's going to buy some weed from her. And once the old door opens, then we'll fight. My cousin did that. And we just, I just, we started fighting. I must have blacked out because... I cut myself. That's actually how I got cut court. I ended up cutting myself. The scar in your hand. Is yeah, that's this was the scar. So actually, my blood was mixed up with her blood. And I found out after I was two inches from my juggler. Assault in the first degree. Mm-hmm. And that was a seven-year bid. Seven-three, yeah. Seven inside, three in parole. Once you're inside, right. you have nothing but time. Think about everything. Right. So what was that first transition to, you know, being inside, like, for you? When I first got there, I was like, I got to do this. I have to be strong, and I can't let nobody see my weakness. I knew on TV, like, that was the biggest thing. Like, you can't show people you're weak in jail. When I got there, I said, you know what? The first year, I was in the box. A lot of that time was in solitary confinement from, like, saying, like, I'm not cleaning the toilet. I'm not scrubbing that wall. The disrespect, the rapes, and the the things that just, like, aren't, not right and how they treat you and how they feel like they can violate you. If you're in that Muslim in prison and you don't have those um, papers, men are allowed to search you. So it's just what it is. I mean, you either deal with it or you get sent off to the box. I think, you know, when you start to say like, I don't know, I don't even know. Like, I think I was, it's kind of sick to say maybe it was just like, it didn't even bother me after a while. I was like, I've been through worse stuff. My dad violated me sexually. So, I mean, this is a stranger. I'm in jail. I'm not going to even make that, you know, like, it gets no worse than what my dad did. I guess that was my attitude. Like, what the hell? If your dad could do it, I'm just not, I don't expect a stranger not to do it. I, I feel like, you know, you have women that do it also because they have no family to take care of them. And that's their way of getting what they need. It's wrong. It's wrong because it's, it's still a violation. You know, a woman feels like she has to sell her soul just so she's able to, like, have a good meal. After being in the box for so long, I said, you know what? You got to grow up. You got to grow up. You did this. You got to get through your time and you better get to your time by, you know, doing positive things. And you ain't going to be able to do none of that if you stay in the box. Mm-hmm. So that was my reality check because I no longer wanted that. I got tired of my mom coming to see me with shackles because when you're in the box, you go to the um, visiting room shackles. It was embarrassing seeing my son see me and that. I'm already in jail. Now he's seeing me with metal on my ankles and my hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Came out and I came out with a different attitude. I went to college studying sociology at the time through Marymount College and then I started constantly going to the gym, going to the gym, going to the gym, bettering myself, trying to figure out who I am, trying to figure out how I can let go of my own demons, how I can get rid of like certain things so that I can be a better person. A lot of us that are home now, we fight for those that don't have a voice inside. And we deal how with a lot of- that now? Well, I deal with um, the women's building, which is a, um, used to be the old jail. And um, 
the West Side Highway on 20th Street in Manhattan. That was a place where a lot of rape took place and a lot of things, but Sandy took it down and it got shut down. And all of the women were transferred to other facilities. And now um, the Nova Foundation, along with um, a founder named Layla Gorham, they decided to turn that building into a voice for women, built by women, for women like us that have been through the struggle, that where we can speak, where we can get inside and make a difference and bring everything to Albany so they can make changes and they can start you know, scanning these offices properly because a lot of offices shouldn't be offices. Did you have any perfume or anything when you were in prison? The Muslims would sell clones like maybe once a month, once every three months. So mm-hmm. when it came around, you collect a lot because yeah. you didn't know what they were coming wear? around. I probably, I think back then I was wearing like female Izzy Miyake. Oh my God, my, I love that. Right. Yeah. It was like one of my favorites. <laughs> Clean laundry. It just It just does something to my spirit. Like those scents just like, <sighs> it's, what was the scent like in prison? Dark. Musky. <laughs> the scent was, if I described it to my passion for air, I would be like dry, stuffy. But then you found space to where you were able to breathe and relax. You have moments like that, but it's always, it's a negative place. So nothing good's going to come, you know, when you have so many bad things happening in prison to from between inmates and CEOs. Like, it's going to always be a dark light over that. There's nothing like, you just have to find your space where you have that little light over you. It made you feel good to have something scented. When you had those things, it just makes you feel like kind of free in a moment, you know? Because you, that's, what, that's what you do in the world. You find scents that agree with your chemistry and it makes you feel good, you know, through oils. It's where you can like somewhat put yourself in that place. Even when you used to take mascara and put it on your eyes, it just made you feel like, okay, a little piece of you, you know, you still have, you don't, you don't lose everything. You still have a little piece of, you know, who you are. The feeling that, you know, that I could relate to when I was home or when I was in a free world.